Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season three of the Talking with Traders podcast series with me, Garth McKenzie. Backed by popular demand following the first two seasons, I'll bring you a string of interviews over the next 10 weeks with a number of seasoned traders in my network to give you a first-hand insight into how they trade the world's financial markets so successfully. The first two seasons of this podcast have had over 20,000 downloads of the interviews, so I've used this traction to seek greater global reach for the third season. A special word of thanks must go to our sponsors, IG Markets, for continuing to fund this podcast and to allow it to flourish. In season three of Talking with Traders, I've gone beyond the borders of South Africa to speak to traders from across the globe. I'll ask pertinent questions of each of my guests to really try and get them to open up about what makes them consistently successful when it comes to taking on the world's financial markets. This episode of Talking with Traders takes us across to the USA, to Savannah, Georgia, and I'm joined by Joe Bassett, who is ex-South African with AG Capital in South Africa, was in Cape Town originally, but moved across to the USA and is based there now and trading out of that region. Joe, welcome to Talking with Traders. God, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm just going to correct one part of your introduction there. Um, not ex-South African. I... I've lived there for 15 years um, and I've got uh, a South African wife and four kids that were born there, but uh, yeah, I, I was born in, and raised in America. Uh, okay. So hence the accent that, that, that you That's that it. You well, have. when I come here, you know, since I've come back here, people tell me I have an accent as well. So <laughs> everybody <laughs> thinks I've got an accent. <laughs> I guess we all have an accent, right? Depends on where, you, where you're situated and who you're talking to. Exactly. Joe, thanks for joining me. I really am looking forward to chatting to you on this podcast. Let's go back to the beginning of your career. What got you interested in trading? And, uh, and, and tell us a little bit about your early years and your path uh, to get to where you are now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, I, I had maybe a little bit of a, a commonality with some other people that I got into financial markets and that um, my father bought some shares for me in uh, a company when i was about 12 or 13 and it was a paper company that was about 30 minutes down the road from us and um you know i used to look at it in the paper every day and uh follow the stock price and it's amazing just in getting involved like that, how it, it kind of turns you, your mind to the, to the subject and, and you think about it and, you know, you ask a, you know, a random question here or there. And so, you know, I started following that stock price and I started asking my dad some questions and, um, you know, eventually maybe I was, you know, 14 or 15 and he took me to, to see his uh, stockbroker eventually. Um, and, uh, asked some questions to him. And then a couple of years later, you know, as I got a little bit older and a little bit more intelligent and had figured a few things out, uh, I was asking my dad some, uh, really hard questions and he took me back to see a stockbroker and the stockbroker actually couldn't answer all my questions because mm -hmm. I think a lot of, you know, stockbrokers are more salesmen than they are, um, you know, market guys. And 
So anyway, that, the bug bit me early from that standpoint. When I got to college, um, the day I turned 18, I opened an Ameritrade uh, account and um, funded it with some money that I saved up from stringing tennis rackets in high school. And and I was off. I mean, that was 1999. It was my freshman year of college, the fall of 1999. And that was obviously the absolute height of the tech boom. And I was reading, I don't know, Send Money Central and, you know, Yahoo Finance and a handful of just generic accounts. And it was just littered with stuff on tech companies. And I put $3,000 into this account and I had $10,500 by first quarter of, of uh, 2000. And that was with no leverage. Um, you know, that's just what was going on with the market. I had no freaking clue what I was doing at all. Um, you know, I was just reading articles and thought, oh yeah, that sounds cool. This company sounds interesting. I'll buy some of that. And, and, uh, but I was, you know, I went from 3000 to 10,500, I think in March of 2000 from 10,500 down to 3,700 about three months later or maybe four months later. And I was absolutely disgusted. You know, I'd been making plans for some of that money and I sold all of the stock. Luckily I sold it all. Um, and, and kind of realized I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but that, that furthered my, um, interest. Um, and I, you know, was dabbling in, you know, stocks primarily, uh, for the rest of the time that I was in college and kind of knew from there that that was, um, you know, be, you know, trading and uh, being in markets was one of the two or three things that I was going to want to do, um, you know, going out into the future. So that's really where I got my start. Um, you know, I ended up in South Africa. That's just a long story. Um, and, you know, met some guys there in markets and then kind of never, never left. So, so yeah, I really got my professional start trading uh, South African equities. And then that just expanded over time. Yeah, fascinating story. And I think that's such a common story that you tell guys that start out to make some money and then blow up an account almost at, at some point. Pretty much everybody that I've spoken to on this podcast series has followed that journey. And it's almost like a rite of passage to get into the markets, I, I guess. But, you know, since then, you've obviously done very, very well. Um, I was introduced to you by a mutual contact of us who said to me, you've got to talk to Joe. He's a 0.1 percenter. And for those listening to the podcast who don't know what that is, it means that basically nine, you're better than 99.9% of other people that try and do this. So you've clearly done some things right and you've formulated a strategy and you've, you, you've progressed significantly from those early years. Tell us about your strategy and what you trade now, Joe. Um, Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know about the, you know, that sort of ratio, but um, I appreciate that. Whoever said it, um, <laughs> my strategy now is completely, you know, evolved like everything else. Um, you know, I started in, in you know, day trading South African equities, um, which is, uh, I think not when I started probably wasn't all that dissimilar to trading U uh, S equities. I mean, I started in O uh of five um and you know the south african stock market was was hot i mean there were a lot of international players it was a you know commodity boom that had followed on 
the ultra low policy rates uh, that Greenspan enacted in, in 2001. And um, <clears throat> we were, you know, so that was flying. Everything was doing well. Um, you know, if it was, you know, commodities space was just absolutely on fire. There were a lot of international players. Um, there was just so much going on and, and things were really flourishing in South Africa. I mean, I, you know, I remember at the time the, um, the, the central bank was just, was, uh, selling rands and buying foreign currency in the market to just keep the rand weak, uh, or keep it from strengthening past six to one. Um, and it was like that for a couple of years when I got here, it was a different time. Um, and you know, there was really good liquidity in the market and a lot of, um, you know, hot money kind of going in and out. So it was a good time to learn. Um, it was probably a, a very good time, uh, or from an opportunity standpoint to be learning. Um, but my, that, my strategy then, um, you know, was literally one as a, as an opportunist, I would come in and I'd have no position coming into the day and I'd read everything that I could get my hands on, uh, whether that's, you know, um, analysts, uh, you know, recommendations, uh, changes and upgrades and downgrades, news flow was really the most important part. Um, and, you know, I would, I would sit down at my desk and I'd kind of run through, uh, okay, what happened yesterday? <clears throat> um, you know, where was, what was the theme yesterday? Is that going to continue on today? Is there something news-wise that's going to potentially change the theme? Uh, is there something news-wise, you know, from a single stock standpoint that's really going to drive something, uh, whether that's up or down? Um, and that was really it. That was that's that was kind of the basis of of how I you know came into the market. Um, that's really where I started. Um, <clears throat> there's still make no mistake that is still the basis of of my trading um, and it's evolved a lot and there's a lot more uh, complexities to it, but that that's really where it started. Um, after that, uh, I started to learn a lot um, about you know, technical analysis. I read a lot. I watched a lot of other people um, go through their thought processes from a technical standpoint. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I, so I added that tool set to, um, you know, to, to my trading repertoire where I would, um, I would use that less on a daily basis, on an intraday basis, but more on a swing trading basis. And I still do use it as a big uh, aspect to my swing trading basis. And I, and I would say one thing uh, that I've probably left out here, um, and maybe goes back a little bit to, uh, you know, my initial roots is that, um, you know, I, I did, economics at, at school and and not that I'm a, a proper economist of any sorts but uh, I definitely have that sort of thought process in my background and I've always um, so from a an information standpoint and a news flow standpoint one of the first ways that I really think about it is how that's going to trickle down um, and affect the stocks from a macro standpoint how it's going to affect the stocks um, and how that so, so one of the things that I also really look for, and I would say it's probably been one of my biggest differentiators in terms of being starting as a day trader is I would, I was really looking closely at shifts in the macro theme. And when I would see those shifts happening, uh, it would really give me confidence of when I saw 
those shifts happening along with the trade action. Often I'd see the shift happening before the trade action really, uh, you know, really followed it. But when the, when those things lined up, um, I could, I'd be really strong in, in my convictions and I could really size up in my trading. And that's, wow. yeah, that, that's really it. So, yeah. uh, and all of that's just evolved and I've just added little pieces and, and, um, you know, additional, uh, indicators or, uh, things of that nature that, that I've added to my trading process over the years to kind of, uh, really, uh, build it out to a fuller process. Right. Right. Now, I mean, you said you started out as a day trader. So, um, are you still very much a day trader or do you carry positions overnight? What's the average time frame that you'll hold a trade for generally? Both. I mean, I would say, uh, <clears throat> the average time that I, that I hold a trade now is probably somewhere between 24 and 48 hours. Um, it really just depends. Uh, I find that a lot of the, the real pushes uh, that I get out of, out of stocks in terms of the, the meaty part, the part that I feel like I have a high conviction for, um, those are generally kind of not more than a, like, than, than a two-day uh, portion where I really have that sort of high conviction. And sometimes it might be, you know, <clears throat> one day, but um, not generally not more than two days where I really feel like it's meaty and, and I, I've, I, you know, I've got all all the, the fire, the cylinders firing at the same time. Um, right. Yeah. And, and now you're based in the States. So, I mean, I presume that's you're, you're trading primarily us market or, or are you still looking at the South African market as well? I, I do still look at, at South African market and I do still look at, you know, uh, I'm, I'm look, I look at everything really from an equity standpoint. Um, uh, you know, South African equities were, were, a real focal point for me until really kind of the last couple of years where they've started to fade out a little bit. I do still look at them. I've still, um, you know, still semi-actively am trading those. Um, but it's not, it's not the focal point anymore. The focal point is definitely, um, on us equities at the moment and just, you know, you know, global assets. I think there's a good opportunity set and spent a lot of time on the metals, uh, this year. Um, been you know that both the the equity side and and the uh, you know future side um <clears throat> i've been i've traded a lot of em currency this year that's been pretty good to me um but yeah the 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 focus now is really more, more us equities than anything and i'll tell you why that that's also kind of the focus not just because of my uh geographical uh footprint at the moment or where i am specifically in the world right now i mean us equities is where the game is you know um and you you know I, i'm i'm a very strong component of um you obviously have to trade what you know but you have to be in a place where where the game is good and and I, there's no better place for the uh, for for uh for a good game right now than us equities there's just so much happening here well, that's it. There is so much happening and there's so much more choice there than in the South African market. And I know in my own business, I'm also slowly try, trying to transition across to the US just because there's so much more available to trade. But from a, a trading dynamic perspective, have you found that your skill set that you effectively uh, germinated, I guess, on the South African market and you started out successfully trading South African equities, you've then migrated across to the USA. Has that been fairly seamless? I mean, it, you know, there's, there's a thinking that a chart is a chart and the market dynamics are the same. It doesn't matter what market you're looking at, whether it's an equity or a 
currency or a bond or a commodity. Would you agree with that? Or have you found that there are different dynamics to trading the US equity markets relative to the South African market? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the skill set is completely translatable. Uh, look, I've been, uh, you know, trading in the States for, you know, throughout the entire part that I was in South Africa. It wasn't necessarily my primary focus on a day to day, but I've been trading things there. So I kind of have, uh, I've, I've maintained a familiar familiarity with the um with the market and with a lot of the stocks but the the there are a couple things that i would say are pretty uh you know pretty common here in the u.s that aren't very common in south africa one is an example is just you know the the sort of sheer level of the moves um you know the the moves in a lot of the the tech companies, a lot of the, um, the more, uh, I don't know, some of the electric car makers, um, you know, so, you know, we get, you know, you get IPOs in the States and the thing will be gapping, you know, trade 120, 150% up on the day. You know, you get moves in, in some of these uh, EV companies or, you know, it can be any of them actually, even some of the large ships, they just move a lot more and, you know, you can get some of these, these trend days where you get like a gap and go move on a, on a stock. It might, it might gap up five, six, seven, eight, 10%. Next thing you know, it's up 20% on the day. I mean, mm. it's the last time you've seen a stock move 20% a day in South Africa. Um, you know, that, that wasn't like, you know, detrimental news or something, you know, crazy going, it, you know, every day you can find something moving like that here in the States at the moment. And that, that is a, uh, it's a completely, completely different game. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, but at the same time, it's just, uh, you know, it is a, just an added dimension to what you would already see, um, in South Africa. Okay. Super. Now your, t your time frame of holding, you know, 24 to 48 hours, it's very short term. So I, you know, what, what is your approach to risk when it comes to that? And, and also leading on from that sort of question, I guess, is what type of leverage are you looking at when you take these type of positions? Cause over 24 to 48 hours. I mean, obviously you can get some meaningful moves over that time frame, but you're in a grander scheme of things, I guess you're playing for, for smallish moves. Yeah. I mean, look, it really depends on if you, you're talking about my, the, the, the day trading uh, sort of aspect or the day trading days um, relative to now where I'm, you know, managing money inside my fund. Um, I'll, I'll separate the two out inside my funds. Um, and I've, uh, you know, I have been, uh, very traditionally, I enter positions, um, <clears throat> at no more than a, a, a 10% weighting in the fund. Um, uh, when I enter, uh, depending on what, you know, what, what type of trade it is, if it's a momentum trade, if it's, a uh, um, you know, a technical trade if it's a uh, a news driven trade i will <clears throat> i will add to them in different in different manners um but i usually won't in a, in, from an equity standpoint uh i won't get bigger than about 30 35 percent uh of nav um in, inside my positions uh and that's like you know those are those are not that common uh, they are when i have real conviction and um 
you know, I'm wanting to get to get bigger in a name. Um, generally, if I'm running a, you know, my book and I've got 10 positions on, they're probably somewhere between, uh, you know, eight to 15% of NAV. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty constantly running, I would say, closer to, you know, gross uh, leverage. I'm probably at 150% of NAV uh, is, is where I'm most was common at. Now that's in the, on the hedge fund side. I mean, when I'm, you know, from a, a prop trading standpoint, um, you know, that's a, that's a completely different ball game where you're, where you're really kind of, you know, keeping things tighter, but the leverage is much greater, um, you know, significantly greater. And, and I've never felt like <clears throat> people always ask you about leverage and what you're willing to risk. And from a, a prop trading standpoint, that's the, you know, the leverage is irrelevant really to me. It's just kind of what you're, you know, what you're willing to risk on a trade. Um, because a lot of guys, you know, be prop trading on a, you know, the amount of money that they have on deposit relative to the leverage and they're not, you know, it, do, it doesn't really equate that well. So, yeah. um, you know, from that standpoint and from a prop trading standpoint, you know, I, you have to keep the reins in so much tighter. Yes. Um, you know, you give yourself such little wiggle room because any you know time that when you are prop trading, the leverage side of the equation is just so much higher. So, um, so that's it. But then you mentioned the, the risk, and I mean that's it exactly. The leverage is one concept, and it's fine. But the risk and the risk of loss is really what actually matters at the end of the day. So, do you have a limitation in terms of what amount of your capital you're willing to lose on an individual trade setup? You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Yeah. Uh... I do, uh, ideally, and this is probably one of my weaker points um, in, as a trader is that, uh, and, and even as a manager, I, I, I typically, I never want to lose more than 3% on any one position in terms of uh, 3% of NAV. Um, and the problem becomes when you really have high conviction, um, you're getting yourself to a point from a position standpoint where you don't give yourself a lot of wiggle room. And that becomes difficult. Um, and you know, you, you just play that on a case by case basis. I think, um, in terms of if you're going to allow yourself to go a little bit outside of that band as you get as you get um, bigger, and you, know, you kind of get your position up to to where it wants to uh, to where you want to be aggressive. Um, and and then the next uh, complexity comes into you know, an individual position relative to what you're willing to take as a drawdown on, of a, as a fund uh, as a whole. Uh, and, and generally, I want to keep that to, to not more than 10%. You know, the moment that you really start to get up into the double digits, it, it, becomes, it becomes much more taxing to, to try to work back. Right. Okay. Okay. Do you find trading stressful, Joe? <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if you're not finding trading stressful in some form or another, then you're not taking enough risk in my, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't see, 
I mean, look, if you have a 100% systematic approach, um, then yeah, maybe it's not so stressful because you know it's the system. But it, it's you know even if you've got a systematic approach, when you start to go off sides, um, you know, in in bigger numbers, uh, or you know, you're having one of your bigger drawdowns, which anyone in the market is going to have from time to time, it's stressful. Yeah, no, for sure. I haven't asked that question to any of the other guests, by the way. That's the first time I've introduced that question to the podcast series, but I just thought it was interesting to ask you because your style is pretty unique relative to the other guys that I've spoken to in the sense that your time frame is quite a lot shorter term um, yeah. than, than well, many of the others. I, it's funny. I had a, a conversation with somebody I just met the other day and they were like asking me about what I do. I said, trying to explain it to them and um, I said, uh, well, you know, is it stressful? And I said, well, you know, when's the last time that you went to work and lost money? <laughs> and he was like, well, I, I you know, I, just, I, I can't lose money. He's, you know, might not, you know, have a, a good month or, you know, and I was like, well, you know, I can lose money any day that I walk into the office. <laughs> I said, it's just a little bit more stressful when you, you know, when you can actually lose money, maybe not, not make money, but actually lose money. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, in this game, like you say, you can go to work and you can put in a hard day's work, a solid effort and come home poorer for the effort. So yeah. it, it, obviously it is, it is stressful. Um, and it's how you manage that stress and how do you manage that stress? I mean, tell us a little bit about your daily routine as a trader. How early do you get up? What sort of processes and routine do you follow on an average day? Well, <clears throat> It, it really depends on what's happening. So, um, and, and I think that this is one of the keys to, to really being a, a good trader and, and to, you know, separating yourself is that recognizing the days, um, recognizing, you know, the opportunities and, you know, the big moments. So every day is not created equal, um, you know, to the next in, in, in trading. Um, there's certain days where if you've been around in the industry and you've been trading for a while and that sort of thing, which you, you just, you know, before you get there, it's going to be a big trading day. There's going to be a lot going on. There's going to be a lot of volume. There's going to be some big moves, all that sort of stuff. And those are the days that I get up earlier and that I, I trade more, uh, or sorry that I trade more, I, I get up earlier. I might do, you know, twice the amount of, of, of reading. Um, I might, you know, all of that put in all those sorts of additional efforts. Um, and, and separating those becomes, I think, you know, easier as you get a little bit older. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just, I think that that's, that's a, a really important factor. Um, the, some of those days where it's really, really, uh, going to be exciting and I'm, I'm, jazzed up for the day. I'll, you know, I'll wake up, uh, in the morning to see what's going on at the open in Europe, which is, you know, um, called three o'clock in the morning here, uh, to, to watch for 30 minutes and then go back to sleep just so I can kind of see what the open was like. Um, and then I'll wake that back up at, at, you know, six as an example. Um, other days I might just be waking up at six, uh, certain days where, um, you know, I, I don't think there's that much going on. I might wake up at six and not even have a look until seven thirty because I don't want to get myself, um, you know, going, you know, I don't want to get myself hooked in on something too early when I know it's not going to be a great where, where I don't think that there's going to be anything exciting going on in the trading day. 
Mm. So I think that that's really important is being able to really separate those out. I mean, just from a prep standpoint, uh, you know, got a routine about what I do when I get up in the morning. Actually, the first thing I do is look at prices when I wake up in the morning because uh, in my mind, when I go to bed the night before, I've got an expectation where I think prices are going to be. And, uh, and, and, based off of, of what's going on. And, and then when those prices are significantly different, then I know I, I want to look then and say, Hey, was there some news that drove those prices to be significantly different? Or, you know, is this just, you know, action or, you know, is this is flows that are coming in the market, that sort of thing. So um, that's really what I do. And then, you know, from that point, I start my, my reading, which is, you know, comes from a, a variety of different sources um and uh go from there okay all right now something i've asked all of the guests on this podcast series is around their um best trades and worst trades in in their experience and in their careers those of us that have been around the market for a long time all of us have a story we have a number of memorable trades both on the winning side and on the the losing side so i want to ask you about this as well then tell us about a, a trade that let's start with your your worst trade um ever and it's one that sticks in your mind. Oof. Worst trade ever. Um, well, <clears throat> you know, it, it, some of those worst trades um, where you feel you've been hard done by, or, you know, you just didn't kind of execute right, probably set my head um, more than, you know, some of the ones that, that maybe were bigger, uh, financial losses in 2008, you know, I was, I hadn't been in the market that long as a professional and I was, you know, the learning curve was just so steep and so many things were happening that not only had I not seen before, but I'd hardly read about before. Um, and saw just saw some of these crazy moves happening. And, you know, I had been trading, uh, the VIX a bit, a bit that year. Um, and, you know, my first experience trading the VIX and just, you know, learning how that works. And I th you know, I understood the, the idea of how the VIX uh, is supposed to work, but doesn't necessarily mean that that's um, how it is going to work. Well, I, I started shorting the VIX at, um, at 75 um, on, the, on the front month thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just have this, this trade run in here and um, you know, I'm going to roll it. If it just gets higher, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit on this and I'm going to roll it. And I'm going to fund it. Well, you know, the, I think that day, the next day, what I, I it, it was just kind of hung up there was drifting up and I started adding to it and adding to it. Next thing you know, I, I think that we pushed up to 87 or 89 or something like that. And got, yeah, got close to 90. Same as I was just sitting in, on in this gargantuan um, loss and, and it just, you know, kind of steamrolled on me and I was adding into it. And then, um, you know, the, as we got, as we got closer toward expiry, um, you know, I, I'm looking at the, the forward month, um, which is going to be front month, you know, a day later, two days later. And I'm like, why isn't this thing coming up? You know, if this thing's going to be front month, it was just, you know, I was going to be rolling into a, to a, I think a $15, I can't even remember what it was at the time or $17 discount. 
And I'm like, I can't roll into that because, you know, if this thing, if I roll into that and it pushes back up, um, you know, into the mid eighties, you know, I'm, I'm just going to get, I'm going to get absolutely murdered. And I took a big loss on that because uh, I didn't roll it. And I just remember, um, you know, thinking that the, I had a, lo a lot of what I wanted to do was basically sell vol. I knew that, that I wanted to sell vol. I knew that vol was going to come down. I just had no idea how to do it appropriately um, for, you know, where I was, uh, you know, at a time from an experience standpoint. And I absolutely had my ass eaten alive off of that position. Mm. Um, and funnily enough, um, and it's definitely not my best trade from a, from a financial standpoint or, um, you know, anything like that, but it saved my ass on that, on that account, which was, which was really just my personal sort of swing account was, a, was, was one of the trades that was, you know, right around that same time I had bought puts on oil. Um, we were, we got up to a hundred and same thing. I faded out a couple oil contracts around $135 or so. What I think we traded up 147 at the time. Yep. And that was when Goldman Sachs said it was going to 200. Yes. Yes. And, and <laughs> I knew, I mean, from what I could see, I could see that this thing was coming to an end. I could just feel that, you know, between rates and oil and everything, it was going to drag on the economy, which obviously is going to start to hit, you know, hit demand and we were going to, this thing was going to roll over. Um, and eventually what I did was I closed out the shorts and I bought hundred dollar puts and I bought hundred dollar puts like four or five months out. I think I paid a dollar for them or something. I can't remember what it was. And if I'd held that trade, I, th I think I could have, I think those puts became worth like $60 or something like that. Wow. Um, and, and I didn't hold them anywhere close to that, but I, I did hold them long enough. Um, I did hold them long enough to, to make all my fix losses back. <laughs> and um, anyway, that was just such an incredible learning experience to me. And two of the trades and they happened right around the same time. And this is, you know, 12 years ago now but they stick out to me as some of the, the most memorable, memorable trades I ever had um, just because of the, I think the sheer learning experience of, of both of them. Mm, fascinating. Fascinating. But Joe, do you think that um, trading is a innate skill or is it, a, you know, or is it, or is it something that can be taught to anybody? Um, I think that it, it can be taught um, but I think you, there are, are, are the vast majority of, of the people on this planet will struggle, uh, to ever have, uh, a, a successful career as a trader. And that is, it's not necessarily something you're born with, but it's something that you've, you know, kind of developed in, uh, at some point in your life, um, you know, being able to kind of follow your instincts, um, being able to be honest with yourself, um, and being able to, uh, or at least in the way that I trade, uh, not being over analytical. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the, 
the smartest people on on earth really struggle as traders and because they you know they their mind works in a way that's so analytical um and and you know when you really think of of the uh the way that markets move, or sorry, the reason why markets move, it's so much of it is really more psychological than anything. So I think, um, you know, for uh, AG, I was, you know, I was, I was hiring, I was you know, running the hiring process and, and, you know, training the new traders for probably four or five years. Um, and the, the real thing that I looked for as much as anything in my, you know, and my hires is really just um, two things, um, emotional intelligence and, um, and, and just sheer passion for it. Um, because for me, you know, for people to get to a point, uh, of success in this game, you know, you have to be passionate about it. There's just, there's just no other way that you're going to actually get there. Even if you do have the skill set, or, you know, or, or the skill set, even if you are emotionally intelligent. Um, and, and the other thing is, yeah, you, you know, you've got to kind of, you've just got to be able to, to, you know, keep yourself um, emotionally in check all the time in order to make those good decisions because you put rules in place and, you know, you can do all sorts of things like that. But when you get emotional, you know, you, your systems just start to break down. And that's, that's really, um, I think what separates a lot of the, the really great traders, um, you know, from the people that can struggle to make it. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if a youngster came to you now and they're, you know, Joe Bassett, 13 years old, uh, like you were got an interest in the market and wants to make a career of this, what two or three pieces of advice would you give to a youngster starting out? Uh, number one would literally just to be to, to get involved, you know, get a, uh, you know, you'd have to ask your parent to open an account cause I don't think you can open anything until you're 18, but, um, I'd say, you know, fund it, you know, work in the yard or wash your parents car, or do something like that, get a hundred bucks together and ask your dad to open an account for you and, uh, and go, you know, buy or sell uh, some stocks, you know, that, that, that you think are going to do well over the next little while. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just get, just get involved because it's such an interesting, um, that's such an interesting industry and it can be so fascinating, um, you know, when you're actually watching it, but when you don't have any skin in the game, it's just not the same. You know, uh, for me, one of the biggest things was as well, when guys used to come in the door, oh, you know, I've been trading this paper account and this sort of thing, whatever. And it's just, maybe as well wad that up and throw it into the trash because yeah. <laughs> if it's, if it's, if it's not anybody can do it when it's not real money, uh, 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 maybe not, maybe everyone can do it when it's not real money, but a lot more people can do it when it's not real money. Yeah. So that money becomes real. It becomes a lot different to make decisions. And, um, and so I think that that's the, the best thing that someone like that can do is get involved. Obviously there's some great books, um, you know, that, that can be read on the subject. Um, uh, but, uh, maybe at 13, some of them will be a, a little bit, uh, over their heads, but, uh, you know, a lot of great books as well. Yeah. Well, that's the final question that I want to ask you, Joe, is in terms of those great books, are there two or three that you think uh, any trader should certainly read and most definitely should have on their shelf? Well, I mean, uh, one of the cl- first classics that just comes to mind is, um, 
you know, confessions of a stock operator. Um, that you know, book, which I believe is about a hundred, uh, 105 years old now or something like that. Yeah. Um, the story of JC Livermore. Yes. Um, it's, that's, that's just an absolute classic. Um, I've actually got a, a coffee table edition of it. And I was, uh, I reread through about the first third of it again, uh, a week or two ago. Um, <clears throat> there's just so many beautiful, um, you know, especially if you are, you know, kind of an order flow, uh, trade action, uh, type of trader, there's just so many pieces of gold in there. Um, there are, you know, a lot of other great books, uh, Mike Bellafiore, who's a, a, a friend of mine and you know, great guy. Um, luckily, you know, I've had the chance to kind of meet him and, and, you know, get to know him a little bit. His first book, um, I'm actually in the second book. He came down and, um, and, and was at our office for about a week and spent some time with us and, and went through some, some things with us for about a week, maybe, five, six years ago. Um, so, but his first book, One Good Trade to me is, uh, is a great book, uh, for people looking to get into, to prop trading. Um, another great book I think is, uh, it's Jack Swaggart's Market Wizards. It's a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are, those are the ones I guess that kind of come to mind, uh, first. Yeah, and you're aware that Jack Trigg is coming out with a new uh, Market Wizards book in, in November. I, I saw that. Yeah, I can't wait to get my hands on that one and read that. I know, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Last thing, um, Joe, what do you do to unwind? I mean, obviously, this business is quite stressful and it's all-consuming. Um, it's, it's a passion for all of us that really love it, as you say. But, you know, there's also a need to try and find some balance in life. So how do you unwind from the stresses of the market? Um, well, I've got four kids, so uh, most of my unwinding comes in the form of doing things with them, uh, you know, getting in the pool with them and, you know, throwing the little guys around or getting outside and throwing a bowl or uh, my eldest son has gotten uh, big into golf, so I'll get out on the golf course with him and, um, uh, yeah, mo mostly things like that. I mean, we, we, we go out on the boat on weekends and, uh, and things like that, but it's really kind of time with the kids. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of helps me unwind and get my mind off of, of everything else. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Joe, thanks so much for chatting to me. I've really enjoyed this last 45 minutes or so getting some of your insights. Um, I really do appreciate you talking to me on talking with traders and I hope we can keep in touch and perhaps even talk again at some stage in the future. Absolutely. God, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Okay. Take care. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of talking with traders brought to you by IG a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.